Probably science. My name is Andy Wood, and I'm sitting next to Matt Kirschen. Hey, Andy. Happy Sunday to you. Thank you. Thanks for remembering. <laughs> <laughs> that we're is my lucky dumbest. day. Uh, and we're joined by um, a person that I've been meaning to have, we've been meaning to have on for the entire length of this podcast. Uh, I've known him as long as I've lived in LA, and Length of this particular podcast. <laughs> <laughs> five minutes. Um, are we still are we still co-producers of Comedy Palace? Is that I, you know I, what is our affiliation at this point? Have we gotten to the we've we've basically reached tenure with the Comedy Palace, yeah, right? It's, it's a I thing where we don't have that to. You both are technically founders yeah. of that gig. Yeah, we can drop I, in during any set pull the microphone out of whatever comedian who's performing's hand and then just fucking start just yeah Patton Oswalt take a seat I, yeah. can, I can do it only because I'm, I'm a producer for the same reason that either Brett Michaels or Vince Neil I think one of those guys is the lead singer of their band only because they owned a PA and that's what I brought to that show I'm with, I'm with, that was more than with, Ed or I brought by far <laughs> this is the voice I brought of, Ed so uh, this is Sean Perlman the very funny hey talented. everyone happy Sunday Right, um, yeah. So we—I uh, don't know if we've ever talked about it in this show—that that there is this weekly show at a at a Chinese restaurant in Los Feliz called Comedy Palace. That, um, yeah, technically a producer on, but yeah. a once in a very rare while host. Uh, but mostly, it's just my my PA is sitting at that restaurant. But yeah, so you did you you basically bought that PA for to be a permanent a staple I, of that's that, I mean except that when Bridgetown PA, happens then yeah, yeah it just it ended up just coincidentally being the best purchase I've ever made in my life I think I bought it about 15 years ago mm. when I was living in Portland just to have like basement shows with bands right and then it ended up being a thing I used every year at Bridgetown like we'd always have at least one stage it didn't have its own sound system so that would go in there and then um other basement shows like Tignataro did a show in my basement on that PA back in 2007 in Portland and then yes. it's been at, at the palace for the last mm. five years it's so like if that PA could talk or if every set that's happened in that had been recorded it would be like an incredible because yeah Pat and, well have you tried uh, like dumping the like pressing the dump button the dump on the button. yeah recorded 15 years of <laughs> yeah Pat, you know how many the... people would go down as a result of that <laughs> oh my there God. have been some crimes have... that have happened around that's pa oh jesus yeah and i forgot about that time that um because yeah Patton did his first set back after losing his wife uh, at, uh, at that show recently oh, that was his really first time I getting back no into... idea wow yeah um that's but he also yeah. he also did a show like five years ago that was like a Rashomon thing where he yelled at an audience member and then people in the back of the room who didn't see how bad that audience member was being right. then someone took him to task online and criticized his handling of it but then depending on where you were standing in the room yeah. you were like oh no 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 she was the worst she deserved that and more she wouldn't stop taking a video of his set right. uh, and that actually became it got legs and like became a thing people were like talking about whether comics have a right to have like a workout room where they, they can not have to answer to the critiques of, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, that was, uh, an interesting controversy that happened. He's had a long, a long history with us. Yeah. And I think it's cause he lives probably two doors down somewhere. Yeah. There's a couple of comics <laughs> like that who are like, we're walking distance. So we'll drop yeah. them and do, that's I want his mic, our our my our mic, our show to be his like therapy room, his Thursday night therapy room. Yeah, would be great. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Yeah, uh, so. yeah. And, like he has some pretty impressive bands as musicians and stuff playing there as well. When it was in Portland, right? Oh, uh, I mean, at, during the festival, yeah, I guess like well, Slater Kinney has played uh, 
through that at Baghdad at, at Bridgetown, I think. Or was that a setup for a joke? I'm no, sorry. No, no, no. It wasn't oh. at all. And like even when I think when you had like having basement shows and stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess none of those are like bands you would know. The Decembrists were supposed to play at a party of mine, and then one of them couldn't make it in like 2003. That would have been cool to say that that was... Uh... Right, wait, I have to interrupt you guys really quick. Uh, Sparky Pop, Marsha just walked by. Yes. She made her in. Yeah. She, I, she's my neighbor. She's. I had no idea. Yeah. I was just like, wow. <laughs> it was like right behind you. There, there's a window that I'm facing. Matt, <laughs> Matt is facing uh, me, but I'm like, do you guys recognize this person who's walking <laughs> this by is, in the background? I forgot. Were you active on a special thing, the comedy message board? Uh, I was an active reader of it, but yeah. I, I never really participated on it. Did you? That's how the festival came about. That's, oh, that's wow. That's the reason I live here in LA and the reason I live in this apartment is because right. I know Marsha through... Yeah, like when I visited the community here that formed around two thousand five, mm-hmm. I just stayed with people that I knew from that message board, including one night I stayed at Marsha's place up there, and uh, and like that's how I met Sean Perlman. I mean, that's how I met. <laughs> like, my brain has to say the you name. Just referred of who to I'm me in the third at. person somehow. That's how I met uh, Paul J and Ed Salazar, our co-producer on Comedy Palace. All these guys I met through a special thing. So she's lived there for a while. She's lived there for like fifteen years. Wow, rent controlled, and uh, she's got a way better deal than I do. Why move? Yeah, exactly. Uh, hey, Sean. All right, enough. We always ask our guests this before we get started. Uh, I don't know, that is what, if anything, is your background in science? Okay. And it doesn't have to be anything. It could just be a class that you enjoyed or a class that you hated or you blew stuff up in the woods with your friends when you were a kid. <sighs> well, speaking of blowing stuff up in the woods... Okay, well, I, you know, I used to be obsessed with uh, m- uh, movies when I was a kid. I was like this rabid cinephile. I would be like... Also, because... I maybe started when I was like 11 with my dad's, you know, uh, the, the the home video camera and making yeah. little movies and stuff. Oh, and yeah, I was yeah. Just... I had, my dad had one of those where, like, yeah. it, it fitted an entire VHS tape in the side of it. And, yeah. And you stop and... St- but wait, not not one of the ones where you had to take half the VCR with you in a, in a briefcase? No, no, no. We had, we had Actually, you know what? I think the one my dad had, it wasn't even the entire VCR. It, like, it was like a quarter-size VHS thing. And then you put it into a caddy that was like a full size VHS thing, and then like that a went high, into the was it high eight? What, I mean, what, yeah, what are those? It? I don't know. I don't know because it was the same. It was exactly the same technology as a VHS tape. It was just smaller, so it fitted into the camcorder. And the width yeah. of the tape is the same. Yeah, so you oh, put okay. it. You put it into this caddy, and the caddy basically just fills up space, made to it make bigger. It the size yeah, like what, yeah. like one of those. Um, Mini like SD, SD card, card. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's if I remember correctly. Like when they're making the transition from like VHS, yeah, those you know, yeah. big VHS cameras to like a smaller digital thing. They were going, they were like transitional cameras, and then they yeah. would have yeah. you put like a high eight tape into a VHS tape. That might be completely wrong, that but that's how I remember. Right. It. And, and all of the ed- I remember <laughs> like we good. made some dumb films, but all the editing had to be in camera, right? Yeah, it was that's just like that's but you exactly. could do special effects. You're holding you, an apple, oh. and then you're not holding yeah. an apple. Exactly <laughs> and now we have Vine, which is exactly. <laughs> Exactly the same. It's just oh my like, God, it's we've true. gone nowhere. That's so true. Yeah, texting, we go back to the Telegram, and then uh, Vine is just in-camera editing. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly it's exactly the same thing that I was doing when I was nine or something with my friend Jordan. But that allowed the you know eight-year-old actors that I was having in my in my movies to have like you know a sense of uh, narrative continuity right, yeah. in their performance <laughs> that's why I did it I, otherwise I would have just shot with my dad's old 35 millimeter right. camera that no <laughs> and the uh, $100,000 of film that were just lying around right. in, in our place um, the so yeah I used to you know shoot these videos of my friends I was you know this kid who was just obsessed with like I think you know like 
uh, Tarantino and Polanski and I don't know why I just named those two specifically but just like I love Pulp Fiction was, and I love Story yeah, right. yeah. I love 13 year olds Repulsion and, yeah. <laughs> and Reservoir Dogs uh, the um, you know when you're a kid you just love Polanski yeah. <laughs> and his mutuals yeah, yeah. not a fan of his films really yeah. but <laughs> the, uh, no but yeah I just I, I remember the reason why I say Polanski is because I remember as uh, a kid maybe I was around 12 going to the video store and at that time, I must have looked like I was five years old yeah. and being like, do you have a day? I don't know why I was. <laughs> my, I, my I, am a, I am an Adam Sandler <laughs> character. Do you have Chinatown? Yeah, basically, like, you know, do you have this weird foreign movie? And then, you know, they, they, they would be like, you're not supposed to be out of school, child. You know, <laughs> Wait, did, I still wasn't supposed to be out, out of school. About, how did you get into these, like, obscure directors and movies and things? I just, uh, you know, my dad never held back. Uh, he never had any. Uh, you know, he, he didn't really censor. Uh, you know, when you're a kid that age, especially like a boy that age, you're just this raging id. So your channel for getting this stuff out is like sex and violence. Yeah, it's like I'd rather. Um, you know, ju- you know, I would watch like a lot of horror films or, or stuff with like very dark subject matter. I remember watching Taxi Driver when I was like maybe 12 or 13 around the okay. same time and not really understanding like what it's like to be like you know an alienated adult but yeah. but i could you know the the violence was cool you right, know as a right. kid um but yeah i think uh it's just that my dad just didn't hold back so i was just like you know it started to grow a rabid obsession with movies and and just uh, consumed just yeah hundreds and hundreds of movies in a year of all you know all across the gamut of uh, similar to like how Tarantino will like these like high art films you know um, you know he would like Grand Illusion but then he would also like some exploitation movie right, from the right. 70s uh, and that's what I would just you know I basically wanted to emulate Paul Thomas Anderson and Quentin Tarantino when I was a kid yeah. um, and uh, yeah so I used to make my own stuff and make uh, and, sh- and shoot videos and uh, I remember and I would make my own uh, like special effects too. I mean, I, like um, uh, specifically like practical effects. Yeah, like, like little practical effects uh, because you know we digital effects were yeah, around yeah, back yeah. then. Um, so at one point, I I made uh, an explosive okay. <laughs> that was made from the the those rings. You know, like the uh, plastic oh, the caps, rings, like the cap gun rings, yeah, where the, like. Everyone's like a little cylinder with a tiny yeah, bit of gunpowder. with powder. a little yeah, piece yeah. of paper, cardboard over it, so that like you yeah. know, just to have the thinnest veil of safety from a child, so that they just don't reach in and grab the gunpowder. I think but I, the, would... I think the ones we had didn't even have that. It was just like um, just exposed to the air. Yeah, it was just like a it was like a ring of mini mini cylinders closed on one end with gunpowder in the other end. How does yeah. the gunpowder not fall out? Because it was sort of packed. Yeah, in. it was. It was like pasted. Sort of there was an adhesive that, okay, yeah. that you know to the bottom of the of yeah. The plastic, and then the cap gun but... would just like be a metal thing that would come over and strike it, and yeah. that would yeah. And so yeah, and, you know, so essentially like little rocks Empty of nitroglycerin. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I would just you know carefully you know so I emptied. I I would buy hundreds of these packets, and I just had you know just these little tiny pieces of dynamite essentially yeah, like, yeah, yeah. and just you know just group them all together into this one mound i had my friend and i'm like okay so now you're going to step on the mound and <laughs> oh my god that's <laughs> so this really horrible uh this really horrible idea yeah you you called it exactly correctly um it, it like you know he he's and i'm like we only have one take for this too, so <laughs> to do it right 
Got to do it right. Otherwise, I have to do this for another three hours. Um, <laughs> steps on the mound and it blows a, a, a hole in his shoe. Jesus. And there's his the bottom of his foot is singed and bleeding. <laughs> I was like, you had the perfect size, any yeah. bigger, and he would have lost his foot. Like, or had I, yeah, it, we're very lucky that yeah, yeah, no yeah. permanent damage was was caused. Jesus. But uh, we got our shot, was, and that's all that matters. Did it actually look like much, or was it just a big sound? Just a flash, and then the. Actually, the, the the volume dropped out, so the the actual microphone. Oh, it ruined just, the mic. Yeah, it didn't even pick up the. You know, it just it didn't it didn't ruin the mic because the sound came back. But actually, like, so there's just a flash, so just a white flash, which we could have easily replicated <laughs> with, uh, you know, just the turning the exposure flash? up or okay. something. <laughs> and uh, and then the mic just blew. You know, it kind of like blew out and then came back yeah. afterwards. So it, you just so heard, it had like some limiter on it. Yeah, yeah. it's almost like you just rubbed sand across uh, against the speaker, like. <laughs> And then and then it came back and yeah. it, it was, we didn't get our effect and then my my friend laid uh, on the floor screaming uh, in in agony. <laughs> you, you must still have this footage somewhere though, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I yeah. want to see that sometime. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> what was the project? What was it called? I have to remember. Uh, I, I, this is digging deep back into the recesses of my memory, but I think that. He was the fastest man in the world, and mm-hmm. so I believe that leading up to that moment, to 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 sim- to to show visually that he was the fastest man in the world, we would um, like uh, we, we would take the uh, smaller pockets of the dynamite, yeah. uh, you know. So like just like this would just be like one ring of uh, you know one six cylinder ring of uh, of the gunpowder, and so they would create these mini like. Psh- like uh, you know explosions but not anything that would you know that was yeah, to yeah. come and so he would be um uh he would take be taking steps and walking extremely slow okay. <laughs> but his his feet were already emitting these like little flashes yeah. uh and and explosions so that was supposed to you know show that was supposed to look somehow like interpret <laughs> <laughs> in the audience's yeah. memory in the audience's eye that like yo he's like you know like the flash it's or something slow motion speed but yeah it's, exactly it's, you can tell it's fast <laughs> yeah, but you're yeah. seeing it in slow yeah, yeah, yeah. and then the last one he was supposed to you know just take like just <laughs> flash off at the very end and that was supposed to you know and that's when oh, we so it wasn't meant to be an explosion it was meant to be like kapow he's right. shooting off right 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 like so it, it doesn't serve your story that i'm writhing on the floor yeah, in yeah. none of it had a, a logical through line it wasn't whatsoever. a vietnam thing it wasn't it like, just kids uh, that yeah, wanted to yeah. to have the loosest it was almost like pornography basically like <laughs> Guy comes in with a pizza and they start fucking, and that was the ver- that was what was. Yeah, this is like a Gonzo superhero. Film. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, I, but you I, did win the uh, the child the Oscars. The that that yeah. <laughs> Not even the child Oscars, was, Andy. Sorry, you would think right, it was the yeah. just because you were a child doesn't mean it yeah, wasn't the regular was, Oscars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, that's funny. I mean, probably not at the time. Probably it was quite scary at the time, but yeah. It, that, was that a friendship ender? Or not? No. Uh, oh God! Not in the sl- remember no, back to being a twelve-year-old kid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh dear! Oh my God! How much did, did we hurt each other? It was like spy versus spy with my friend and I. So we would took turns getting pummeled, essentially. I think uh, yeah, there were there's a lot of horrible shit that we did to each other as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine just for the broken shoe, if nothing else, you must have got into shit from your parents. You know, I. I I don't remember 
I very, this is I'm giving you guys the 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 sense that I was some latchkey kid that was actually you know I grew up Here's without my, my parents. Card. This, we'll see you next month. Yeah. this isn't like a half constructed house somewhere that we just kind of squatted in and uh, you know we nourished ourselves with sawdust and <laughs> no this yeah I, I don't think we got in I, we got in trouble for that you okay. know there there were times when we did get in trouble but you know the one time I remember us getting in trouble was. On the street, we were we, we, at a Super Soaker 1000 or whatever it was, like a really like or heavy the ones duty. With, like, the backpack yes, water reservoir. Exactly. <laughs> we were sitting there and we were aiming towards the street, like Macaulay Culkin in the in the good sun. Like we were gonna like shoot <laughs> the window of a car. And then I remember I was like I, I I I had my hand on the handle and I was like I can't do this. I really can't. This is this seems a little dangerous and even out of my element for for someone that's not gonna go to jail for this. Yeah. But, you know, um, and then you know, and then he grabbed my hand with with uh, so he was like the Macaulay Culkin, yeah. and he pulled it back, and then it shot a, a car window. They they you know skidded to a stop, yeah. sudden stop, and then we ran into the house, and then they you know walked up to our front door, rang the doorbell, and my dad answered, and then I, I got in trouble for that. Yeah, yeah. That was definitely something I got in trouble. Yeah, once for. you start fucking with moving cars, like, yeah. same with snowballs. <laughs> yeah, you like, don't. Yeah, that was a thing that like the, only the bad kids did. We, we grew up without once. snow. Because I was in Los Angeles, but we're, oh, yeah, 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 you, <laughs> yeah. Throwing snowballs at cars is no joke. That's uh, you, know, yeah. you don't do that. I mean, you do do that. Yeah. But then that's like <laughs> if I threw a snowball step. at a car, they'd be like, "Where did you get <laughs> what a heavily preserved Wizard. snowball?" That yeah. I went to. I flew to Minnesota. <laughs> I had a little ice chest. <laughs> I got a direct flight. <laughs> so yeah, that's my <laughs> nice. No, I, <laughs> that's me and, and that's science. science. I really don't have any science school memories. Um, Per se, that's more no, science remember, than most people have. Yeah. No, I'm already impressed with that. Yeah. Full on yeah. movie special yeah. effects. I, I do remember that my science school teacher in elementary school was named Mr. Edison, which is wow. you know what are the chances? Yeah, and I don't think we even noticed uh, you know the coincidence at that time. So yeah, that's uh, how dumb. That's how poorly so he did. retroactive. That guy has yeah. a light bulb name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, you know who doesn't hurt themselves? Uh, hurt each other and their friends. Spiders. I was about to say flying birds. Oh damn it! Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, I just we just realized sometimes we're so good at this podcast we complete each other's flying birds. Yeah, <laughs> spiders. That is yes. a... Oh, he's... Uh, so um, ha- yeah. Uh, this is something I discovered from just before the show when we were working out what stories to tell. Uh, we have different words for a type of bird. Yeah, I've heard this word, but I think it's only in British books. So budge, budgies or budgerigars uh, are a type of word for that. That's our American word for. We can call them budgies. You can. Wait, do you know what budgies are? I, you know, I, I definitely remember watching like a BBC show and them referring to budgies and going like, ha 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 ha. <laughs> That's funny. But you don't have they, a guess for what we call them. Uh, oh no! What are what is, what is a budgie? It's a parakeet. Really? Yes. Well, this story's a new scientist, so I'll be calling it Budgies all the way through. It's cute, yeah. Uh, they reveal the rule that may, that means birds never collide in flight, which might have applications to drone technology. Uh, how do birds avoid crashing into each other when approaching head-on? They have an inbuilt preference for veering right. Mm. The finding may contribute to the design of better anti-crash systems in autonomous drones. Uh, Mandiam Shrinivasan. Uh, sh- uh, 
at the University of Queensland, Australia, and his colleagues uncover the simple trick while filming pairs of budgerigars flying towards each other in a narrow tunnel. That feels like they intentionally made that happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they didn't just wait by a tunnel just for budgies to go past. That feels like they very consciously sent two budgies at each other to see what would happen. The budgies playing chicken, ironically. Yeah. During more than 100 tests, the birds moved to each other's left-hand side in 84% of cases, and zero crashes were observed. That's weird because it said veering right. Which would yeah. oh, move to each other's left hand side. There we go. Okay. Yeah. Um, the budgerigars also tended to fly past each other at different heights, which prevented mid air collisions on the rare occasions that one of the birds veered left. This reminds me of a dumb thing in my childhood. Uh, I used to live across the street from a church that had a big parking lot, so we'd ride our bikes around there all the time, and my friend and I were like, hey, here's a fun thing. Why don't we start at opposite ends of the parking lot and bike towards there as fast as we can? And then and veer wait, right at the very last wait, minute. Yes, wait wait till the very last minute to yeah. turn. It's like, I'm going to turn right, so you turn left. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. That makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to turn the opposite direction. Those are opposites. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it worked out exactly how you're picturing, at full speed. <laughs> We were like, how could we have gone wrong? I turned right. What did you do? I turned left. No, you didn't because I turned right. So we weren't as smart as budgies. Okay, they both the budgies both turned right. You know, it, it seems like they didn't have to study budgies in order to come up with this. This is this is sort of how our traffic laws are. Like, naturally. but why why right? Why not left? Like, yeah, so it yeah. makes sense for them to all choose a side, but like they can't talk to each other and be like, yo, from here on out, our rule is going to be, you know. And then like, would there be a problem if there were like French budgie that that met English budgie? Right. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. right. Yeah. Well, this is what I'm wondering for this. So it also says group hierarchy may dictate which bird moves up and which bird moves down. It looks like the dominant birds prefer to go lower, he says. Maybe it's because more efficient, maybe because going lower is more energy efficient and easier, so the non dominant bird is forced to great gain altitude. That makes me want to make a Pixar movie about a delusional budgie who thinks that he's more dominant, but everyone yeah. looks at him as you lower stress. Low. <laughs> Always crashing into other budgies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, these crash avoidance system strategies have evolved over 150 million years in birds and can provide inspiration for anti-collision systems in drones, he says. Drones currently use simple proximity sensors to avoid hitting other objects, but they are not sophisticated enough to communicate with each other. Once better sensing technology becomes available, pre-programming all drones to veer right when they encounter one another may be a straightforward strategy to reduce collisions. Uh, height coordination is trickier, but could potentially be achieved by assigning numbers to each drone, mm. uh, Srinivasan uh, says. Upon approach, the rule may be that the drone with a higher number moves up and the one with a lower number moves down. Teaching drones to communicate with each other is more feasible than trying to coordinate every drone in the sky from a central flight command center, especially now that drones are being built in large numbers. I'm so uh, glad that this uh, article ends up being all about how we can make more and better drones. Yeah. <laughs> Javan Chal of the University of South Australia agrees, but says we are some way off developing technology solutions that can achieve what birds do naturally. I, I was less curious about what they do when they're about to hit each other face on as, as mm. I am about how like swarms of birds do that thing that looks so yeah. like they know where the whole swarm... Like uh, That's We're, crazier. Yeah. when You see a cloud that just kind of moves together and but uh, I think there is different... research done on that as well, and the um, the strategies that they use, like yeah. they take it in turns to be lead birds in the V. <clears throat> oh, okay. And yeah, cool stuff. Who sent that in? Uh, I found that one. Oh, so, Matt! Um, big doing... thanks to uh, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, uh, yeah. London via Los Angeles. Uh, as always, oh, the articles by you too. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder they. Go. <laughs> yeah. Is Matt part budget? Yeah. And I'm the one who's been sending birds a speed down. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, as, as always, people can email us probablyscience at gmail.com or tweet at probablyscience to send in stories or just comments about past stories, including um, we got one recently from a listener by the name of Oli Force, and he uh, was just listening to the show where we mentioned what three words that um, mapping service that defines the planet by every grid, every square has a three word code. And he wanted us to know that he was using it as an essential part of a stag weekend, which we call a bachelor party, that he's organizing. Uh, the groom's a pub quiz and trivia fan, and he used the app to make a pub crawl into a treasure hunt by finding the three words, cor- the three word coordinates for each pub, and then writing questions or crossword type clues to find the three words to know the next bar to go to. Oh, that's cool! Yeah, yeah. So you yeah. solve you solve the puzzle, you get the word, you, you know, what, and which then bar you find the location. Yeah, yeah. What is an example of the type of words that they use? And I know you talked about this on a previous episode, but you know, oh, they're, they're all pretty it's just like, generic, simple. It'd be like, um, yeah, like a uh, table, sunflower, fridge, or whatever. Mm. That, gonna, let's see if that corresponds to anything. Or easier than that, I'll just look up. Um, where we are. Well, no, I won't tell people exactly where we are. Uh, let's just look up, like, I don't know, what's an LA landmark? Let's look up uh, Amoeba Records sign. in Hollywood. Soon Amiga. not to be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's so sad. I mean, it's sad, but it's also, like, unavoidable, you know? Like, yeah. How can a record store in 2016... Like, that's... Of course, it's going to go away, but it's a yeah. bummer. I'm looking up an example of... Uh, Okay, uh, if you're up in Runyon Canyon, you might be at slows.diary.flat. So it's just, you know, if, if you move the map around, it just makes these three words change according to your 10-foot by 10-foot square. Anyway, we've talked too much about that. <laughs> We're not being paid by them. Whoa, whoa, uh, whoa. Wait, let's go back to this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, I was obsessed with it for a while. We've talked about it a bunch of times. Right. Um, I wanted to get into a story that Justin Broad sent. Um, because it involves the only kind of uh, statutory rape I can get behind, which is spider statutory rape. Is that a good intro? And Roman Polanski. Oh wait, I mean, okay. I I did just get to that episode of the um, of the Charles Manson series on. You must oh, remember this. Yes. If you listen to that I lo- podcast, yeah. um, I just downloaded it off your recommendation. Of yeah, I just got to the week. episode about Roman Polanski post Sharon Tate's murder and getting into like how it was just kind of like commonplace. For, yeah, I mean, not for every, but there was a lot of assholes who would just like sleep with fourteen-year-olds. Yeah. And uh, and he was like, he was hoping for a trial because he thought that if the jury saw her, they would also think she looked older. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't matter what she looks like, you asshole. Like, what the- Did you ever hear Dan Mintz's great joke? Oh my God, it's yeah, one, of, one oh, of my favorite. It's one of the best. I, uh, what, I, I don't want to fuck up oh, it's, someone else's. I, I, I'm probably going to fuck it up anyway, but it's... Uh, Roman Polanski has led quite a life. First, he was a Holocaust survivor. Then his w- wife was murdered by Charles Manson. Then he uh, raped a 13-year-old girl. And then he won the Academy Award for The Pianist. And I'd be happy with just, like, one of those. <laughs> <laughs> oh, takes a on. man's life and turns it into... That is a spot-on Dan Mintz. Holy shit. Listeners you who ever wanted know... me to sub in for Bob's Burgers, Dan? <laughs> yeah, he's the voice of Tina on Bob's Burgers. Also one of the best joke writers ever. Yeah. Also has the... Uh, I've been going to work in a spacesuit because you dress for the job. Uh, I love that what? joke. Not the job yeah. <laughs> He has a million of them. It's so good. Uh, okay, so this is a story sent in by Justin Broad, who sent us a lot of great stories. Uh, scientists reveal redbacks gruesome trick to avoid being eaten during mating. 
Redbacks are in the widow spider group, which are uh, so-called because they um, usually get eaten by... The female usually eats, eats a male after they mate. And um, male redbacks have developed a rather gruesome method of saving their own skins, scientists revealed on Wednesday. To avoid becoming the lunch of adult females, some males have taken to inseminating juveniles, which have no external genitalia, by biting through their exoskeletons to deposit sperm. And the females retain the sperm and produce offspring later when they have matured. So unlike mating with adults, this option rarely ends in cannibalism of the males. The research team wrote in the Royal Society Journal Biology Letters, Dr. Andrade and a team were conducting unrelated research on two species of the Latrodectus, widow spider genus, when they observed the behavior. In both the Australian redback spider and the brown widow, there is high competition among males for mating rights with females, which are several times larger than them. Many males get to copulate only once in their life before being eaten, sometimes even during the encounter. Story of my life. Right? <laughs> Females may mate more than once, reducing their original male partner's chances of fatherhood. Uh, the researchers noticed in the laboratory and in nature, males mounted immature females whose genital organs and openings were still covered by a shell-like exoskeleton, which is shed before the creatures reach adulthood. It appeared the males used their fangs to cut through the shell, then deposited their seed in the female's sperm, recept sperm receptacles called spermathecae. They managed to do this quite carefully, opening only this part of the shell, and as far as we can tell, without causing any injury to the female. And they had to do it at just the right time, as soon as the genitalia and sperm storage organs are fully developed but not yet exposed, just a few days before the final molting. And the males put much less effort into courting juveniles than adult females, something that is usually done by drumming messages on the female's web. The altered male behavior did not seem to affect the juvenile female's development or fertility. And they, they said that this study was the first to report successful insemination of immature female animals. So I just don't get how this could have been a thing that they... It's like they can't be consciously aware that when they mate, they're going to die. Mm -hmm. So how would this be a thing that they would have... I'm just trying to figure out the actual like evolutionary mechanism for how this could have uh, started to be the, the behavior. Yeah. If, if they, they're never talking to each other, like, I got, Jesus, what, have you seen Jim? Like, no, like, then he stopped coming around. He's like, driving a new sports car and he's going after. <laughs> oh, no, it's not. It's midlife crisis. Brown bag, red bag. Yeah. So crazy that, yeah, they've tricked the system to not get eaten. Yeah. It's like they know. It's like they know. It's a downer of a story, but again, it's spiders. If I had to pick any species for this kind of behavior to exist in, it would clearly be spiders. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I brought this down. I'm oh, sorry. No, I, I mean, <laughs> how much of spider sex is consensual anyway, right? How much of any animal yeah. sex is consensual? Yeah. It's, uh, it never seems like it's that fun for anybody involved. I know when I'm having sex with it. I don't, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was supposed to be about animal sex and not statutory, but I didn't finish my sentence. And I'm like, it's more important that I go the absurd way of having sex with an animal. Yes. Okay, you got yeah, it. Okay, yeah, you yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Matt, do you have something for us? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Um, hey, while we are talking about like mating and inheritance and stuff, uh, intelligence apparently is inherited from the mother. Okay. Hmm. Who knew that? I didn't know that. No. Well, then why don't I speak Japanese? That's a good question. <laughs> if they're so smart. <laughs> did your mom speak Japanese at home at all? Like as a kid? She did, yeah. Um, it would be, you know, like uh, Japanese English. Mm -hmm. It would be a blend. Uh, you so really don't know would, anything, though? 
very little. I know Scoshi, which means very little. <laughs> uh, she would yell at, at me, you know, because it was more impassioned. Would come from like a deeper rooted, you know, yeah. like that. That that typically happens with like foreign parents. I think, yeah. you know, so she'd yell at me in uh, in, in Japanese and in her native language. And then, R- remarkable yeah. restraint that I've never seen yeah. a stand up act of yours in which you do an impression of your mother yelling at you. <laughs> I can't, you know, I have one joke about. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I have one joke where I say, and I don't do impressions of my mom because I'm not one of those comedians and by that i mean a successful one <laughs> uh but yeah there's you know i do actually have i have a joke about my mom i just you know it's the i it's you know you can't hear your uh your own parents accent it's it's uh, the pheromone thing you know it's like, but you think yeah. you really don't notice it I don't. I don't even notice. You know, when my friends will imitate my mother speaking, yeah. it's not like they're doing it like in a well, pejorative. Yeah, yeah. They're, or, they're, or, they're just like, you know, your mom is, um, you know, this is how she, this is her grasp of the English language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mom is, it's pretty good. And I mean, she's lived in this country for very long, but um, but it's still, it's a pretty thick accent still. And yeah. uh, I just don't hear it. I, you know, I, I've gotten oh. used to filling in also the bridges between like, you know, if she'll leave you know uh like uh, like a pronoun or a thing you know it's like yeah. you know then i just fill it in with my it's you know it's my predictive text in my mind yeah, for yeah. my mom to be like my brain is going to try to read her as american mother <laughs> uh what's what's japanese for you blew up your friend's foot Oh, What's I do know we... this. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> this is a very common expression and <laughs> so new research Oh so, god, wait. Oh, you know what? I, I I'm not even sure if I should do this now. I mean, do, it. do you guys edit the podcast or no, anything it's fine. like that? No, it's fine. It doesn't matter. Whatever I want to say do. this really quick story about my yes. mom and yeah, yeah, yeah. And, how, and see if you have any insight into this at okay, all. Okay. It's insane. This is a no, crazy what, story I, that I've yeah, told on my own podcast with Dave Horowitz called Little Cuties. Which is no more, but it's a, you know, limited series. <laughs> you can like, still find it on the, yeah. the iTunes, I'm sure. Okay, Little Cuties. Uh, uh, yeah, Feral Audio. Um the okay, so uh this is um so my mom at one point and this is a story that she told me way after which is that you'll see how surreal it is and be like why wouldn't she tell you as this is happening it's a magical thing that's the crazy thing that's happening i'm building it up a lot but my mom at some point got a little turtle from chinatown um uh not the roman polanski this is a polanski theme show (laughs) okay (laughs) uh so she gets the a little turtle from chinatown and she uh she loves her little turtle and uh, you know months past she didn't even tell me about you know getting this little turtle and puts it this in in this little uh jar and uh you know and and so and then she notices that there's a growth on the side of its neck and it's and it's uh walking slower so she ignores it and then she notices it's moving slower and slower and she's like okay so i have to do something about this at this point it's it's something you know that's affecting its health she takes the turtle to a vet and the vet um says yeah uh this is going to cost three thousand dollars to remove and she's like well i paid four cents for this turtle so that is not an equitable deal uh so the uh so then she takes turtle home she's like well i guess I, I don't know what to do. I guess my turtle will die at this point. And then she's like, gets the the great idea to go on YouTube, look up how to perform turtle surgery, which I didn't even my, know my mother knew how to use the internet. <laughs> yeah. right? So she how to perform turtle surgery. By the way, this is also the fact that this is happening within the era of YouTube as well. So this yes. is a fairly recent yeah. occurrence. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and... With- Lots and lots of turtle videos, how to perform surgery on turtles. Now I want to look this up. According (laughs) to her. Yeah. Um, So then she, so, so she follows the steps of how to perform surgery on, on this turtle. 
applies Aurigel to the wound to numb the area, uh, cuts the tumor off with an X-Acto blade, glues the flaps together with super glue, and the turtle lives. No fucking... Swear to God. So, or at least this is what she's telling me. Right? Oh so I'm like, God. this also is like a year after the times of the... So not the end of the story yet, yeah, okay? Okay, okay? So then she notices a week goes by and is it just my imagination or is this turtle getting larger? Shell and all getting larger. And she's like, oh, another week passes? No, this is not just my imagination. This turtle is growing now, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's almost outgrowing the top of its lid, so I need to move it into a larger uh, a larger container. What? Then it keeps growing like and big, growing and growing. How, like, give us an estimate I for the listener. Like, I actually don't know, but I, I would say, I mean, too big for... Like a, a smaller aquarium. A f- she moved it into a smaller yeah. aquarium, I believe. Yeah. Approaching a foot long, maybe? Or is that too big? That would seem right, I would say, oh, about okay. that. Wow, okay. But that's insane. I mean, so so then she takes a turtle and she just she just lets it go into the uh, into the wilderness or <laughs> LA wilderness she, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know she, I think she La drove Sienega somewhere <laughs> Beverly, yeah. she drove and to three, Santa Cruz <laughs> yeah, let the turtle later, go giant turtle destroyed <laughs> yeah, San Diego yeah, yeah. so <laughs> Uh, that that is according to my mother what happened. Yeah. Uh, what is the science behind this? I was I thought you were going to say that they found out that like that someone had put like a growth regulator in its neck that you took out. It was like someone <laughs> had a race of what pygmy is, turtles. Yeah. They put this. Well, I, like, no, unfortunately, I, if, I don't know how how analogous the physiology of a turtle is to a human or a mammal or yeah, whatever. Right. But like, if if turtles do have something similar to. Like the pituitary gland or whatever thinking, is, yeah, some kind of gland. Then it was inhibiting the growth of the. Yeah, yeah okay. well, that's you know that in the in the same way that certain people with various forms of gigantism have found out, <laughs> which I can't believe right. is the word for it, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> but have found out like um, it's like I think one of the, if not the the current world's tallest man, certainly one of the contenders or one of the most recent ones had a benign tumor that was affecting his pituitary gland. Okay. And that was eventually, like, that was treated, and then his his growth slowed or stopped when he was oh. 19. But until he didn't then, dwarf he, down to size, right? No. <laughs> it's not like a, the Incredible Hulk getting, you know, not mad anymore. Just <laughs> got really loose purple cutoffs all the time. Why wasn't Bruce Banner always in super loose purple cutoffs? Like, yeah, well, spandex, something yeah. stretching, something I mean, but give. why didn't he wake up? Why didn't he wake up in, like, oh, stretched out yeah. purple... <laughs> like there was like an after like a Jenny Craig that, picture you know, pulling wakes up the next day. Yeah. <laughs> like Jared's pants in some way. <laughs> um, any listeners who have? I know we have some listeners who are uh, veterinary yeah, technicians, vets, let us know about veterinarians. Turtle they're like, oh, I know the science behind that. Your mother was lying. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, so you never saw any of this? Oh, wait, she, you no, saw she. I mean, I mean, she did start it off by saying, "This is all a dream. Don't repeat this on a podcast if it, as if it's fact." No, she did really, truly yeah. say that she experienced this. And I, but you, you know. never visited her when she had the tur- none of this. No, is I had no idea. Uh, I mean, this is probably like within like. I mean that makes me seem like a bad son, but we were getting we were getting lunches at a mid at a midpoint between my location and her location. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and at no point did she choose to mention her reptile surgery. <laughs> never, never. I just want to know. So she didn't do general anesthesia. So the turtle's awake. It's just its neck is numb. Because why wouldn't it like recoil into its shell at at the sight of a sharp? I mean, you know what I mean. Yeah, I don't. I don't just know. Just picturing her like having to put the head in like a vice grip to keep it from right, going back right, into the right, shell. Right. Like, hold on. I don't know how um, 
yeah, like if you applied the Orgel, uh, maybe it just made it go to sleep. Also, I don't, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, then I'm picturing a tiny was... little like chloroform soaked rag <laughs> yeah, over, yeah, yeah. The, over the little nose holes <laughs> of the turtle. Don't use a regular; it will kill the turtle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is a bonkers it's story. Really yeah. It's really great. It's really, I respect the, uh, yeah. it's like C. Everett Coop used to do that, used to do exploratory surgery on, on uh, stray cats. Right. He used to get like I a sterilized trash can and he would just put like chloroform soaked cotton balls in the bottom or something and put like stray cats in this trash can until they were unconscious, then perform exploratory surgery. Oh my God. Just not to fix anything, just to like see about cat anatomy and then like stitch them back together. He never lost a cat. <laughs> If Sievert Coop wasn't already that age and would probably, I'd say like if he could live to age 150, he'd become a serial killer then. It'd yeah. be like the stage yeah. of... Yeah. D- <laughs> Just for reference for the non-American listeners, because this has come up on the show before, but Sievert Coop was oh. the Surgeon General. Under uh, Reagan, I want to say. He's, he's no longer he had living a, he had at a this point, chin, right? He's not. He passed away yeah. three years ago. Mm. He had a great chin beard. Didn't he have like a Lincoln-style chin beard? Yeah, like he a had a good beard? chin beard and... Uh, he was an American pediatric surgeon and public health administrator. He was vice admiral in the Public Health Service Commission Corps and served as the 13th Surgeon General of the United States under President Reagan from 82 to 89. Uh, according to the Associated Press, Coop was the only Surgeon General to become a household name. He was known for his work to prevent tobacco use, AIDS and abortion, and for his support of the rights of disabled children. His Wikipedia page doesn't mention the, um, the cat stray thing. cat or dog surgery, but I swear it's true. I read it somewhere a long time ago, or I dreamed it. <laughs> it would be under its own section. <laughs> stray he, uh, cat and dog surgery. <laughs> he lived in 96. <laughs> it's a good long, it's a good long uh, run. 96 is a fairly hefty lifespan there. Well, you know, he had to, because if he didn't, you know, you'd be like... You're, you're part of the medical one? I wonder how <laughs> that, that opening paragraph sort of paints him in a pretty good light. But if he was the Surgeon General during the AIDS, Reagan was notoriously terrible on that. Yeah, mm. yeah. That's a good point. Um, it says here, also his interest in medicine followed a year in hospital following a childhood skiing accident and brain hemorrhage, which I feel like is a common thread in people who go into medicine. Like they have their own experience at a young age, either with like their own illness or like a loved one. And then they want to have control over that and like be able to prevent someone else from going through that or help someone else's experience Mm. but that's also a thing that i have a friend who uh, got into medical school but didn't go and he was like everybody lies and makes up one of those stories on their application because you have to have one of those stories to get in like that's just how assumed (laughs) it is yeah yeah and and then how they must know that everyone just makes up a story he's like yeah well you just have to with the interview talk about a time when you were in the hospital you saw someone else who's hurt you wish you could have done something or you were in the hospital and you wanted to get better care so now it's like that sort of arms race like the same way i Coke wouldn't need to advertise if Pepsi didn't, and vice versa. Like oh, it's just like everyone. Yeah. If everyone yeah, stopped if telling they didn't those have stories, sob stories, then, then yeah. it would just yeah. You can't just be like, I just want to ball out of control. You know, <laughs> <laughs> can't do that. You can't just be like, I want to, I want to, <laughs> I want a Tesla, baby. I, I <laughs> try to high five the. the, the I enjoy godlike power. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you have to have you have to inject the Joseph Campbell hero's journey yeah. into your life. I like the idea that I can push a plunger and it'll make a person change. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, I'm not leaving. <laughs> I didn't ask the, you that. According, <laughs> according to this chapter on Wikipedia, it seems he was mixed on on AIDS, but relatively good. Like he 
for the first four years in office, he was prevented from addressing addressing this health crisis for reasons he insisted were never fully clear to him, but were no doubt political. But he wrote the official U.S. policy on the disease, and in in eighty eight, he took unprecedented action in mailing AIDS information to every U.S. household. Uh, gay activists and their supporters were unhappy with the way in which he targeted gay sex and the risk of infection through anal sex intercourse as primary vectors of the disease, but he was unapologetic, claiming such activities entail risks several orders of magnitude greater than other means of transmission. Religious activists, upset over the pamphlet's frank discussion of sexual practices and advocacy of condom use, call for Coop's resignation. Coop also infuriated some former supporters by advocating sex education in schools, possibly as early as the third grade, including later instruction regarding the proper use of condoms to combat the spread of AIDS. While a straightforward telling to the public about the disease was controversial, Coop was also criticized by some health activists who claimed that his office had not gone far enough in attempting to develop a cure or vaccine reducing the role of his office to educating the public on health concerns. So there we go. That's Coop on AIDS. Yeah. Uh, Relatively sur- good, mostly good, some problems. Yeah. But, but Surgeon Generals keep getting hamstrung by idiots, by just society. Like, then Jocelyn Elders, under Clinton, almost, I think she did have, have to retire because she suggested teaching masturbation. Uh-huh. And not in, like, a gross way, but, like, as, like, a teaching that is, like, a part of normal, healthy sexuality mm. and, like, as a thing, like, you, you guess what? You, you shouldn't have to be ashamed of that. And that's a thing that you could actually use to prevent having as much unprotected mm. sex. Yeah. Like, it's just On a practical thing. thing it's that, like, like a presentation thing, though. Like, I think... Like, if, if she'd done it just, like, in a standard press conference rather than from a candlelit bath. That's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also looking farther. I'm, I'm, I'm Miming the motion. <laughs> Maybe that's what... Uh, it undermined everything that she was saying, is that she was doing a jerk-off motion down. through the yeah. entire thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, we should teach masturbation in school. <laughs> and she also did it through every other press conference, even when it was unrelated. Yeah. She'd be standing behind Clinton as he's giving his speech, just doing the jerk-off yeah. In her, in her bath with their stories. <laughs> <laughs> Further down on Coop's Wikipedia page, it says that in his long career as an operating pediatric, pediatric surgeon, he performed over 7,000 surgeries for correcting undescended testicles. Hmm. Dude brought down a lot of balls. <laughs> he really Good work, Coop. He hated those high balls. So yeah. new research suggests that people are born with conditioned genes that behave in different ways if inherited from your mother or father, and mothers are responsible for transmitting intelligence to their children. Uh, this story, by the way, sent in by Holly Gabrielson of Denver, Colorado. Uh, researchers have known for years that intelligence has a hereditary component, but until recently they believed that a child's intelligence depended on the father as well as the mother. In fact, several studies show that children are more likely to inherit intelligence from their mothers because intelligence genes are located on the X chromosome and mothers have two. I feel like this would be a I'm sorry to interrupt like a, a much larger scientific breakthrough that we would all hear about. Isn't this a huge one? Like I mean just I knowing I feel did, like this should be common knowledge, like, right? Yeah. I- just to go around we the know about that. the hair growth thing. I mean, the uh, the hair oh, loss yeah, thing. Yeah. Right? Like, is that? I haven't looked that like up to see if that's just yeah, urban legend. more worried about. Yeah. <laughs> the Medical Research Council's Social and Public Health Sciences Unit in Glasgow, Scotland, also conducted a study supporting this analysis. In 1994, researchers surveyed over 12,000 young people between the ages of 14 and 22. Uh, in doing so, they took several factors, including the child's race, Intelli- uh, education and socio- socioeconomic status into account. Researchers found that the best predictor of intelligence was the IQ of the mother, and the ratio of young people's intelligence varied only an average of 15 points from their mothers. However, genetics are not solely responsible for a child's overall intelligence. Other studies indicate that mothers play a crucial, even intimate role in a child's emotional development, due in large part to physical and emotional contact. For example, you, you, for example, 
researchers at the University of Minnesota found that by the age of two, children who form strong attachments to their mothers have capacity to play complex symbolic games. The findings suggest a strong bond with their mothers fostered natural curiosity as well as the confidence to solve problems without exhibiting frustration or a change of heart. Mothers who involve themselves in their child's problem-solving process also help to stimulate their child's potential. A study conducted at the University of Washington also demonstrates the importance of the emotional relationship for the development of the brain. Researchers have spent seven years analyzing the way mothers relate with their children. They found that by the age of 13, the hippocampus, which is located in the cerebral cortex and plays significant roles in the consolidation of information from short-term memory to long-term memory and spatial navigation of children who benefit from the emotional support of their mothers is 10% greater than those of children whose mothers are emotionally distant. Oh. So uh, it's almost like this article is saying you should be uh, supportive and loving of your child? Apparently so. I don't, let's wait for some more studies to back this up. This is like the, the replication, the problem with reproducibility, a lot of these studies is like the first one comes out and everyone's like, okay, this is it forever. Like, let's just yeah. hold off. Let's before, look at the... Parents, before doing anything rash, let's wait to see if this can be reproduced. Let's look at the control child who's yeah. left in the, right. in the box of aman- abandonment. It's yeah. me. I was the control child. <laughs> Did I already talk about... I forgot whether I was like, I shouldn't be talking about specifics on this show that I was just working on that's going to be coming up on YouTube. Because it's a psychology-based thing, and we were tasked with um, trying to do these big but scientifically valid. Right. Uh, not not they're not ex- experiments because they're not controlled. You know, but demonstrations of things that have been proven in, in other maybe groundbreaking real experiments. But the problem is like every groundbreaking psychology experiment is totally unethical. Like all the famous <laughs> ones you learn in Psych 101 are things you could never right. do. Like the, there was one. Um, called the Bobo doll experiment where they, well, I guess baby Albert was maybe the worst one where there was a, a, a baby that they basically instilled a deadly fear of rats in it for life. Like they just tormented God. it. Or there were things where they like had, uh, <laughs> they put, put monkeys in cages with no, uh, in isolation from other monkeys and only gave them like a wireframe, uh, mother surrogate. And like saw that, saw if you, if you starve it and then give it food or this like, a shitty proxy for a mother which one will it choose and it wants so badly to have a mother it'll still cling to oh, this shitty doll that's as opposed to getting food that's awful shit all these awful things like we can't do any of these things but yeah making a baby f- afraid of rats there was a Bobo doll experiment where they had kids uh, they had adults beat up this uh, inflatable doll in front of kids to see if they would copy the adults violent behavior and of course they do of course kids learn from so you're like teaching these oh my kids God. to be violent it's well Andy I've horrible. just been doing those things not for scientific advancement I just I didn't realize <laughs> they were, just, would even yeah, <laughs> come right. up with the conclusion of any <laughs> yeah you're Bobo doll <laughs> <laughs> you said you guys liked it <laughs> when we weren't recording <laughs> that was fear that was fear, that was fear reaction. <laughs> you also said that you did say that successfully <laughs> taught, taught this podcast researchers <laughs> conducted one of the first studies in this area at the University of Cambridge in 1984. Nothing ever bad happened in that year. The first experiment <laughs> requires scientists to create embryos of rats that have only the genes of the mother or the father. However, the embryos die before transfer to the uterus of adult female rats. Um, in this way, researchers discovered that there are conditioned genes which only activate when inherited from the mother and that are crucial to the proper development of the embryo. They also found that a father's genes are vital for the growth of the tissue that will form the placenta. Scientists hypothesized that genes essential to the development of the embryo would also have a significant impact on brain function in the lives of animals and people. Uh, The problem, however, was proving their theory 
because the embryos with genes from only one parent died quickly. Uh, researchers found that embryos survived when normal embryonic cells were maintained. Uh, when they manipulated the rest, they created several genetically modified laboratory mice that did not develop in the same way. Mice that received an extra dose of maternal genes developed larger heads and brains but smaller bodies. By contrast, mice that received an additional dose of paternal genes had smaller brains but larger bodies. These findings helped researchers identify cells that contained only maternal or paternal genes in six different parts of the brain. These cells aid the development of advanced cognitive functions such as eating habits and memory. Cells that have the paternal genes tend to accumulate in the hypothalamus, amygdala, uh, the preoptic area, and the septum, which are parts of the limbic system, and and influence functions such as sex, food, and aggression. Fuck yeah, they do. Researchers have not found paternal genes in the cerebral cortex where humans develop advanced cognitive functions such as intelligence, thought, language, and painting. Researchers stress that the findings should not discourage fathers <laughs> to solve any... From what? Pro- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to solve any problems, even the simplest mathematical and physical ones, the limbic system must come into play because the brain works as a whole. If intelligence is linked to rational thinking from our mothers, they say, it is also influenced by intuition and emotions that are contributed by our fathers. The impacts fathers have on the developments of their children, especially by being emotionally present, cannot be underestimated. This is really interesting, because this is... Even, like, from the the first few paragraphs, you're like, okay, that's interesting. But then by the end, you're like, oh, it's the exact opposite of what people claim seems to be the case. That, like, the, the men are the emotional... Right, right, right. Emotional those... and intuitive parts of the brain, and the the female the pet the female parent is. But the, the limbic system isn't really like emotions that you're thinking of, like touchy feely ones. It, it, those are just like lizard brain uh, drives yeah, that's more true. than emotions. I think. I think the, the emotions you're thinking of are in different parts of the brain. But I always forget the subtler ones, the... the pastels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the takeaway from this is still. Don't be shitty to your kids, I think, no matter what, regardless of which parents. Be emotionally present, no matter which one you are. Well, Be I think- emotionally present. Be emotionally <laughs> present. <laughs> well, going from uh, a story about what happens, what you get from each of your two parents, maybe it's a good jumping off point for... Turtle surgery? Turtle surgery. <laughs> uh, a controversial story, a first um, that a few listeners sent in, the first... Uh, I'm not sure it's the first ever, but either way, a baby has been born using DNA from three people. Yes. Yes. Or three, yeah. The baby was born five months ago. His Jordanian parents traveled to the New Hope Fertility Center in New York. Uh, two of their children had previously died from something called Lee syndrome, which is a disorder passed on through genetic defects in mitochondria carried by the mother. So the doctors used a method that takes all the vital DNA from the mother's egg plus healthy mitochondria from a donor egg to create a new egg that's then fertilized with the father's sperm. So uh, the little boy isn't the first baby. Okay, yeah, not the first to be created by combining DNA from three people. But um, the method is new, and it's significant. Experts say it could help families with rare genetic conditions to conceive healthy babies. But it's super controversial, which is uh, why they had to travel to Mexico to do it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, specialists are calling it breakthrough. Critics um, warn doctors about playing God. The U.S. team... At New Hope Fertility Clinic in New York, led by Dr. John Zhang, had to travel to Guadalajara to carry out the procedure, which is effectively banned in the U.S. Um, Dr. Alejandro Chavez Badiola heads up the Mexico, Mexico Clinic and worked with Dr. Zhang on the procedure. He says the procedure has been misrepresented in the media since the story broke. 
This is not three-parent IVF. It's very sophisticated technology that's aiming to save lives, not tailor-make babies, he told the BBC. It doesn't make you who you are. It doesn't give you your temperament, your height, your skin color, whether you have curly hair. Um, So he says you should look at it differently and and think about if you received a liver transplant, you don't have the DNA from three people. You have your own DNA. You just have another structure within your body. That's the liver. So imagine this is more like a transplant rather than messing with genetic information. But still, there is DNA. I mean, there's mitochondrial DNA from someone else to keep the baby from getting that syndrome. Right. Um, and yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what I think about it. I mean, uh, I guess, yeah, I guess I'm uh, pretty neutral. At this point. <laughs> <laughs> in February, 2015, the UK passed laws to allow the creation of babies from three people in Mexico. There's no legal framework for it, but there are no laws prohibiting it. So you guys didn't say we couldn't do it. <laughs> um, and some doctors, uh, other critics accuse the doctors of being irresponsible for choosing to carry out the procedure there because of the, because of those lack of regulations. And from what I understand, they they didn't uh, they just announced it at a conference recently in a sort of like "fuck you, we already did this five months ago" kind of way. <laughs> and the medical Would you community guys be was cool like, if we did uh, this? "No, <laughs> well, we did it five months ago." Easier to ask forgiveness <laughs> than permission. Not go for podium. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now so, enter Golgo. <laughs> <laughs> So, Matt, are you are you pro or anti three parents? Not that it's really three parents, but well, it isn't three parents. It's more like a liver transplant, as right. I've always said. Right. As you've always said, <laughs> I just want someone to finally recreate the hit uh, 1988 buddy comedy twins. I just want to have someone create a, an Arnold and a. And a I would prefer if they just, if this was the result of a, just like a hot threesome. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> like if the one child, three good. parents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the more hot it is, says scientists. <laughs> I just had to Google what your twins came out to make sure it was fucking eighty-eight. What high fives uh, all around? Yeah. High fives, oh, yeah. twins, nineteen eighty-eight. <laughs> you don't care. <laughs> so thank you for sending that in. I think Justin Broad sent that in, among others. Um, is that right? Or uh, Let me see, probably. But you just happened to look. Yeah, it, it was. But numerous, numerous people did, and we yeah. thank you very much. Hey, don't don't, don't uh, critics want him to play God and not exist? Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> you guys, uh, uh, that's an atheist. Uh, that's a great joke. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what Why else? Why don't you make like God and stop <laughs> existing? <laughs> that was a good burn for us. <laughs> uh, should we thank our donors in the next episode? Because I, I've got the emails in front of me, but we haven't put them all into a document. And I don't want to miss anyone. Oh, I mean, well, were there that many that came in since the last... Um, I think there's been a fair few. ...episode we recorded? Um, my, uh, I, I'm searching through PayPal and the emails, but it's mixing it up with my other emails, so I'm okay. finding things Actually, like... Okay, no, I'm seeing them. Rosalie Simonich, your monthly donation came in. Thank very you. very generous of you. Thank you very much, Rosalie. Matthew Arnold, Pandora Young, Drew Chapman. One second, let me see who else. So, so you normally have them all on the list. Stephen Freeland, but we might have thanked Paul last week, Stephen I'm not sure. Stephen Edmonds... Sent as a monthly donation, as does uh, Keith Statenfield. Thank you both. And one more. Oh, yeah, I guess uh, that was a new monthly payment set up by Keith. So thank you for that. I'm pretty sure that's all of them since our last Really? Because I'm also seeing, but we might have already thanked them. I'm already seeing, like, Emma Wilton, uh, 
Murphy Shane. Yeah, I think there was. We Do we already thank them? We, You're getting I mean, a double thank, Peter Lipsy. <laughs> You're getting a double thank. You're getting a double thank. That's how good this is right now. Um, On the heels of that last article, I thought, I'm like, what kind of donations are these people sending? In? <laughs> <laughs> we thank you for the donations for the cause. You can, you can UPS those vials to um, Stephen Edmonds. Uh, yeah, I think I got him. I think you did. Drew Chapman, did you yep. catch Drew? With his mathematical amount of money, uh, I'm like 99.9% sure I got them all because I, I don't mark things red until they're. And Ben Marriott that just came in not minutes ago. Oh, okay. Well, then I didn't get that. Sorry for that. Thank you, Ben. You can donate at probablyscience.com. Hit the PayPal link there. You can set up monthly donations or a one off donation. We appreciate them all. Thank you so much for that. And the other way you can support us is by shopping through Amazon. If you happen to be using Amazon.com or .co.uk or whatever the Canadian one is, use our link first. It, uh, click through our link before you start shopping. We get a kickback. It costs you no extra. So if you happen to be shopping on Amazon, use us. I know quite a few of you do. Uh, including um, uh, Heather Stanley, who also wrote in with a version of the story. I think we should... Um, do you fancy doing the dinosaur story? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that one. Um the other way you can help us, by the way, is to spread the word. And I know lots of you are, and we really appreciate that. Tell your friends, uh, tell those people, uh, tweet, Facebook, all of that kind of thing. Scientists reveal the most accurate depiction of a dinosaur ever created. Reconstruction is based on studies of a spectacular fossil from China preserved with skin and pigments attached. Uh, uh, so, uh, God, I, this is a really... I shouldn't have gone for the Guardian version of the story, which starts with 40 researchers <laughs> elbow their way to the front of the room. Uh, how about the geek.com version of <laughs> it? Yeah, let's do the geek.com little... version. Like, I don't know. Let's, let's really paint a picture. We all, like, uh, they whip out their cameras and mobile phones like paleontological <laughs> paparazzi and start snapping. Others hang back, hands on chins to take oh in God. the animals standing on the tabletop from different right. angles. They dispense approving nods Regular and converge to, discuss, the scene painting, yeah. converge to discuss their conclusions in hushed tones. Later, they'll fuck. <laughs> Sorry, I just added that. <laughs> it's implied. I think it's implied. Elsa, Pan- Elsa Pancharoli whose Twitter handle is G Science Lady, resuming Guardian Science Lady. Look at you with your really <laughs> real narrative there. Let's go to the Geek.com one, which says, uh, scientists have always had to make a number of educated guesses when deciding what color dinosaurs should be in modern renderings. For the first time, we don't have to guess. An exquisitely well-preserved Psittacosaurus, I think it is. Psittacosaurus, which means parrot lizard. Fossil has allowed paleontologists to reconstruct the camouflaged coloration of this creature, which researchers note was, quote, super cute. Most fossils contain only the remnants of bone, but a few include soft tissue. Oh, my God. This is the case with (laughs) Psittacosaurus. Psittacosaurus specimen, which comes with plenty of fossilized skin. That's not bad for a creature that lived 120 million years ago in the early Cretaceous period. It was a small five-foot-long herbivore that would have made a nice snack for the larger carnivorous dinosaurs that also existed in what would one day become China. As a result, Psittacosaurus had the first known example of countershading camouflage in dinosaurs. Plenty of animals use countershading today, including sharks, squirrels, and caterpillars. The same principles have even been applied to military aircraft. A countershaded animal has a lighter underbelly than its back, which exploits the fact that light falling on top of the creature makes it look lighter 
The result is a more uniform coloration that can prevent predators or prey from spotting the animal. There is a bit more detail in the guiding one, so I'll skip through the... The bullshit? The bullshit. The bullshit's very welcome if you happen to be having a casual read, but we don't have time for it. I will read... I will read her description of the Psittacosaurus because it's quite nicely done. It says it's the size of a large turkey, but with a face like a Jim Henson puppet. Mm-hmm. The head is a shoebox with eyes. <laughs> the Frankensteinian flatness on top, accentuated by horns sticking out horizontally from each cheek. A parrot-like beak juts out at the front. That's pretty good. Be still, my yeah. And there's broom-like, there's broom-like bristles that erupt from its tail. Um, it does also say that... Uh, Although it resembles a parrot, that resemblance is misleading. Uh, it does say, Recent paleontological reexaminations of the Psittacosaurus are more than skin deep. Uh, the dinosaur takes its name from the Psittacines, the parrots, because of its superficially parrot-like beak and skull. This is a vivid simile, but has led some paleontologists and paleoartists down an unhelpfully literal path. Oh. In 2010, the renowned paleontologist Paul Serino argued that parrot-like was more than just phraseology. He suggests that Psittacosaurus even had the same musculature as their modern bird analogies. This was controversial because parrots have evolved unique muscles not seen in other birds or reptiles. Could such unusual muscles have appeared in this single group of dinosaurs? Parrots and Psittacosaurus might look the same superficially, but the idea that they had the same muscle arrangements just seemed a little far-fetched, explained Adam Taylor, recent MSc paleobiology graduate from the University of Bristol. His thesis on the musculature and function of Psittacosaurus, due to be published soon in the anatomical record, is the most detailed reconstruction of this dinosaur's soft facial anatomy carried out so far. After CT scanning and digitally reconstructing the skull, Taylor's team computer modeled different possible arrangements of the Psittacosaurus musculature and used an engineering method called Finite Element Analysis, FEA, to test the bite forces and stress experienced in the skull during feeding. The beak is more rounded in the Psittacosaurus, so its bite force is spread over a, lot, a greater area. If this parrot-like musculature were to be a rising one species, you would expect to see evidence for it elsewhere in the lineage. We don't. Wait, what does that prove again? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that it's not the, the parrot musculature. Isn't this, yeah. Uh, so stop, ta- stop calling this dinosaur parrot-like. <laughs> Sean, I've told I'm sorry. you this a thousand times. I call it like I see it. <laughs> Listen, uh, when I settle into looks- a groove, I just... Carry it out until the day I die. It walks like a parrot. <laughs> yeah, it smells yeah, like a parrot. Like, <laughs> so Just you, like my tattoo says. <laughs> <laughs> Usually when reconstructing an animal, paleo artists researched the creature's anatomy, then the habitat it lived in, and used modern analogies to imagine likely coloration that matches the extinct animal's lifestyle. Vinther's study turns this process on its head. If you know the animal's skin patterns in great detail, what does it tell you about how it lived? So previous studies have shown the patterning animal is tailored to their environment. Species that dwell in the open, such as gazelle on the African plain, tend to have dark backs and light bellies, with a pale coloration extending high up the body and neck. In animals that live in forested environments where the light is more diffuse, such as the roe deer, only the stomach is pale and sometimes spots or speckles in the body mimic dappled light from the canopy. This link between environment and coloration is called countershading. It helps an animal blend into the landscape by making it appear less three-dimensional to predators. The strategy is so effective it's long been utilized by the armed forces in the development of man-made camouflage. So coloration tells us something about the dynamics between predators and their prey, amongst others, as an important defense strategy in modern animals. To examine countershading in the Psittacosaurus, Nichols created a second plain gray model without pattern. This blank was placed outside, first in overhead sunlight, 
and then in diffuse light, and photographed to examine how light and shadow fell on the body. The images of the blank model in diffuse light match perfectly with the skin pigments revealed in the fossil. The countershading told Vince's team that Psittacosaurus lived in a closed light environment, such as under a forest canopy. Um, so we'd only looked at feathered dinosaurs and the ones that are close to birds and lived in trees, which is a very different model of life than this one. This little guy was clearly exhibiting camouflage on most of its body, except for the strong pigmentation in the face, which might actually be for show rather than concealment. So smart. Comes from his mom. Yep. <laughs> It's cute little Zedekasaurus. Look at this adorable thing. We'll post pictures <laughs> Look at this little Zedekasaurus. I want to smash his face in. We will post pictures of that at probablyscience.com. He also just has like a hopeful look in his eyes, like in this rendering. He just looks, hello? hello? <laughs> Beg your pardon? Um, oh, I didn't see you there. <laughs> little one-man show that he's... <laughs> yeah. I want to see like an American tale starring one of these guys. <laughs> um, should we... I think we should wrap this up now. I think we probably come... Well, we've had I, to think suggest- it's, I think it's brunch time. I so think it probably is. Say. I think yeah. we should. Uh, uh, Sean, do you have any shows or projects coming up you want to let our listeners know about? Um, I, uh, I mean, you know, our show uh, yeah, every, Thursdays every Thursday at the Thursday Comedy at the Palace. Palace on Hilmers. Um, yeah, uh, it's always free, by the way. Yeah, yeah. always free, um, and uh, good Chinese food. It's it's pretty good. It's, yeah. it's not you know like I'm not sure I really know great from okay Chinese right. food, but like it's fine. Hey, it's like bad pizza, am I right? <laughs> you want to like, fuck it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> who's, who's got the version that's like a pizza's like sex even when it's bad? You still have to pay for it. Um, <laughs> any listeners in San Francisco or the Greater Bay Area? I am going to be up there in mid October, the middle of this month, in a couple of weeks' time. Monday, October 17th, I will be at Doc's Lab, which is the venue formerly known as the Purple Onion, if uh, oh, you have been Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Weird. I th- would have thought that that would have turned into a, a thing that wasn't still doing... I thought it was like that the real estate's worth too much, they can't have it be this comedy yeah, club. Yeah, I don't know what happened. <laughs> now it's the comedy club again. I found that out, I found that out two or three times after I... Like, on the, like, the third time I played that venue. Yeah. I didn't... I had no idea, because I'd never been to it when it was the Purple Onion. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh. Um... Well, it's ha- half of it is an actual laboratory. That's how they oh, okay. <laughs> they supplement. Yeah, they just do like illegal. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. pur- illegal that they advertise yeah. about. Uh, the pup, yeah, because the purple onion itself, the pup, the original purple onion, uh, was super famous. Like it's everyone yeah. played there in the in the sixties. Was it like yeah, it was like shot a special there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I was looking it up, looking it up here. Like the Smothers Brothers did Smothers Brothers mm. purple onion. Bob Newhart, Lenny Bruce, Woody far, Allen. Though. Wow. Phyllis Diller, Pryor, Maya Angelou. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> all of, Polanski. like, loads of jazz <laughs> musicians, loads of famous musicians. Uh, and... Yeah, it's right at that corner. It's it's across the street from City Lights, which is also that really famous... Uh, yeah. Ah, no, no longer City Lights. No, really? <laughs> no, Are you kidding? Now it's called something... Uh, comedy punchline, I can't think of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> uh, so I will be there on Monday the 17th. If you were... That's the... I'm doing... a a couple of other spots around the bay I think um, if you can't make that night but that's the night that I, I'm doing my full headline show and that's cool. the one I'd love you to come to nice. so I'll post a link to that on probablyscience.com as well or just google Matt Kirshen Docs Lab San Francisco please come along Monday 17th and if you're not anywhere near there or not free that night spread the word let other people know um, where can our listeners find you Sean? 
Uh, at Sean Perlman on Twitter, uh, spelled S H A W N. I mean, you, you'll see this in print. Yeah, so. uh, P E A R L M A N. Uh, and uh, yeah, at Sean Perlman. Excellent. Every, you know, across the board. And we are at uh, Probably Science and then mm-hmm. individually at Andy T. Wood and at Matt Kirshen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can write us, uh, you can tweet at us, you can email us, probablyscience at gmail.com with any articles you think we might find interesting or questions or comments, clarifications. If we have any. Uh, turtle veterinarians who have any insight onto what the hell Sean's mum did. I want to just do a whole episode with your mom with just this. I mean, I hope she documented it all. I hope she had like a video camera going during the surgery. He's right in. And also you could donate at probablyscience.com. You can find our Amazon shopping link. Set that as your bookmarks. You don't have to remember to do it every time. Uh, It automatically will autofill when you start typing the website. And spread the word. Let other people know. We really appreciate it. Sean, thank you so much for joining yeah, us. Thanks for having me. We finally got you on. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.